and it is called In the Presence of God. And I will tell you, this was my brilliant idea. <laughs> so um, it's a three-week series where we're going to talk about being in the presence of God, but we're going to span a very large uh, piece of the Bible. In fact, we're going to go through the entire Bible. Um, I'm going to take the first five books. I thought that was a deal uh, when I was talking to Lowell and Chuck. Um, and as I found out putting this together, I am going through a lot of scripture today. And so, and I know that a lot of times the scriptures is, um, there's so much scripture that I don't always get to get all of the context out of it. And I'm very much into the context is the big part of the scripture. And so I would I'd continue to ask you to dig into your scripture, find the context. But today I'm going to be really focused on these passages about being in the presence of God. And so I'm going to focus on three places in the Torah. That is the Garden of Eden, Mount Sinai, and the Tabernacle. And so we start in the Garden of Eden, and like this is, this is like the starting place of the entirety of the Bible, and you know the Garden of Eden is really two chapters. That's all it is. And part of that is the fall. <laughs> so you get to see one chapter, this little glimpse of how God thought things should be where heaven and earth are kind of together. Now, was it perfect? I don't think we can say it was perfect, and from things that I've listened to, um, it's, it's hard to say that because it was just the beginning. We were just getting started, and we do know that there's a snake involved in the whole thing, and so, and so there is evil happening in this, in this place, so, but it is the closest thing that I think we have to be able to draw on today that is how God and humans are supposed to interact. So we're going to hop in starting in Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took a man, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from, the tree, any, from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from that, you will certainly die. So God builds this beautiful place for humans to hang out and God to be right there with them. It is, it is just simple, right? There's one thing you cannot do. It's easy to remember. And you get to be in the presence of God at the same time. Okay, got it. Don't eat from that tree. Let's go on to verses 18 through 20. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a, help, a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what... He, he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. So this reminds me of when I was a little boy. 
And my dad said, let's, let's get an aquarium. And so we got to go pick out the aquarium, get it all set up. We created this little ecosystem. And then once it was set up and it was ready to put fish in, we'd go pick out fish. And my dad would help me know, these fish may not go so well together. These fish will do better together. But I still got to pick out the fish. And then I got to name all of the fish. And you just feel so proud that you get to do these things. And just imagining Adam having the same thing that he can do with God, the special relationship where God's created all these animals, and this human gets to name them all. It's just, it's just this amazing thing, but God still knows there's something missing. The human needs an Edzer Konegdo. So let's go on to verses 20 and 22. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. I hate that, helper. That's a terrible translation. It's exer connecto. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So exer connecto, what does that mean? It's the force that opposes and Lowell did a tremendous sermon not too long ago where he had two boards that were kind of interconnected. I think you said you used that at a wedding, right? Where you were showing the support where one board by itself falls down, two boards together can stand up. That's what an exerconegdo is. In fact, several times in the Old Testament, God is called an exerconegdo. Not just a helper, it's almost like a savior. So this human also didn't just have a rib pulled out, it was basically his side. It says, in the notes in the NIV, it says, or took part of the man's side. And that's a better translation. The man was almost split into two, becoming man and woman. But the point of this, there's a whole sermon that's right there, but the point of this is that God loved this human so much that he made an Edzer Konegno for him, a savior, support, love. And now this human was not alone. And then last with verse 25 it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. So all the stuff we deal with, with fear, with guilt and shame, there's none of that. Adam and Eve can be who they are and not feel inadequate or anxious. They don't put masks on, and they're in this beautiful, wonderful place that God has made for them to take care of. And God is right there in their midst. And just think about this for a second. Think about how things have become so out of whack. Just imagine if somebody came in here today and sat down, walked right up front, and they were naked. Like there's laws against that, right? And decent exposure laws that are in place. 
we have now become so afraid, and I'm not telling you to join a nudist colony by any means. I don't need that. But I'm just saying it has changed so dramatically that there are laws in place to prevent these sorts of things from happening. We have to be modest. We have to be all of these things, right? It's, 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 it's taxing. It's more things that we have to worry about. And all of the shame and the guilt that goes with it, there just wasn't any of that there. But then, Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did the one thing they were told not to do. And when they did this, it was because that snake told them, you could be like God. If you know the knowledge of good and evil, you can be just like your creator. And so when we try to do that, usually not good things happen. When you try to determine good and evil on your own, let's just say God knows better. And God, wanting to protect them, has to make a decision. But let's Let's read, uh, pick up uh, in chapter 3. Like I said, we only get chapter 2 of the good side. Now we get to see the fall here in chapter 3. And let's start with verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard a sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. So now you see all the fear, the shame, the deflecting, the blaming. This, this whole area is just completely messed up now. And it's because the snake just had to say just a few simple words. You will certainly not die. And you can be like God. And it messed everything up. Now, coming out of that, we know that God curses the snake and the man and the woman, but what I don't want you to think of is a curse like a magic spell is, is said. This is God handing them over to the consequences of their sin. Now, the Bible Project, I know I mention this all the time, has a wonderful video on blessings and curse, and I encourage you to go out and take a look at it. It's, it's very hard sometimes to know what some of these churchy words mean, like blessings and curses and things like that. And the Bible Project just does a great job of breaking those down. And so I encourage you to go see that. And later on, because right now, Adam and Eve, they don't know how to atone for their sin. They don't know what to do. We'll find out more about that when we step into the book of Leviticus but Adam and Eve right now, they're suffering from these consequences. And they're, 
and the consequences of trying to become equal with God. So God knows he can no longer trust them in the garden. And so now they've been banished outside of it. So we'll pick up at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He is not... He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take, from, take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So Lord God banished him to the Garden of Eden and worked the ground from which he had been, he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed at the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Another great Bible project video is about the, um, the holy assembly. When God starts talking about us and them, goes into great detail about spiritual beings and, and kind of the spiritual counsel that's there as well. So I encourage you to take a look at that. But here you can see God does this one benevolent act. So now they're ashamed, they're naked. So God provides them with clothes. But they can no longer be trusted in the garden. The relationship is broken. And now we see this continuous path of sin and separation from the humans. This is just the start. The very next story is about Cain and Abel. And of course, we know that God looked at Abel at his offering and he liked it. In Cain's, he didn't say he didn't like it, but he didn't look at it with favor like he did Abel's. And so Cain kills his brother Abel. And then when you, when you look more in depth into that story, you can see that Cain, God actually tells him he will protect him. That's how much he loves Cain. I will protect you. No one will harm you. But Cain does not trust God any longer. So what does Cain do? He builds a city with fortified walls to protect himself and his family. And there's another good Bible project video about the city that you should take a look at. Then we get to the story of Noah in chapter 6, and we see this awful verse in verse 5. So chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and every inclination of thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That is awful. And we see again and again that they keep driving God further and further away. And we know that God tries to uncreate the world in this instance. We go back to like this beginning where there's an abyss and God makes it an abyss again with the water that's there. But our God, unlike gods of that time, doesn't just wipe everything out and start over, and he doesn't have the humans to try to trick him to stay alive. Our God finds a partner, and his partner is Noah. And God creates a covenant with Noah. And by the way, Noah means rest. Very important, especially in the Torah, rest. God has set 
this relationship apart. He knows that, that Noah can be trusted with doing what he needs done here. So we look here at Genesis 9, chapter 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. So even though human hearts was only evil all the time, our God still partners with Noah to save humanity. Of course, what happens when the dry land is found and Noah and his family come out of the boat and Noah decides he's going to plant a vineyard, a garden of sorts. And then from that garden, he's going to create wine. And with this wine, he drinks too much. And there's these crazy events that very hard to explain exactly what happens with his son, Ham. But he usurps power from his father to try to become more than his father. So again, we have a fruit that is taken from a tree and bad things happen. further impacting our relationship with God. And then the last story that ends up being in the first 11 chapters here in, in Genesis is the Tower of Babel. And this is the ultimate power play where humans are trying to be like God. They have this new technology. It's called the brick. And with this brick, they are going to build themselves a tower that goes right up into the heavens so that they can be equal with God. They will be up there, and God, again, has to intervene. Humans are not ready for this kind of power, and God scatters them. So in chapter 11, 8 through 9, it says, So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So we get this little glimpse at the beginning of Genesis to see what God has in store for us in Eden, and then we see over and over and over again this wedge this relationship-destroying things that humanity does to try to separate us from God. Then we get into Genesis 12 through 50, and we start to see God's plan to get this relationship back into order. And it starts with Abraham, then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Judah 
And this is to fulfill the covenants that he made with Noah and a covenant that he made with Abraham. This is the nature of our God. He wants to partner with us. He loves us so much. He wants us to be close. He wants to be with us. But we keep pushing him further and further away. This relationship is so broken. How can we get God's presence back to us? Because right now, especially here, in this period of history, God is dangerous. The relationship is so broken, it's like dangerous to be around God. So you get to see here, we're going to move into Exodus, and we're going to see how this relationship with Moses starts, because God has this tremendous relationship with Moses, but you see how different it is than the relationship that he was able to have with Adam and Eve. So let's go to Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 7. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of the Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. Most scholars think Horeb is Mount Sinai. The mountain of God, there is there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw, though, the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over to see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slip because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So here again, God is going to make this partnership because he sees the people he's made this covenant with are suffering. Notice this, however, that when Moses hears who this is, he immediately hides his face. Again, we see the fear, the shame, the anxiety that goes with being in the presence of God. God also tells him at the beginning to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. So God has set this place apart so he could be there. And Moses has to show God the reverence he deserves to be there and to take his sandals off, and to give God that reverence, and to be in this place that's set apart. That's all holy means, is set apart. The other thing to notice here is that Moses is the perfect person for this mission that God has planned for him. Moses is a Hebrew, but he was raised in the palace where Pharaoh was, and so he knows the ways of Pharaoh and the things that happen in that palace. 
but he also has this heart for the Hebrews. But somehow God has to get some of that Egypt out of him so he's ready for all of this. And so as he goes into there, um, as he kind of builds this relationship with Moses, you can see that Moses becomes more comfortable with being in the presence of God. And even at some point during this discussion with God, he thinks God should pick someone else. Can you imagine if God said, you know, you're having a conversation with God, and you're like, no, God, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to, you should have somebody else do it. I'm the wrong person. Maybe you've had that conversation before. And then Moses asked God, and I love this, he's like, okay, God, so let me get this straight. I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh. I'm going to tell the Hebrews that you want me to do all of this stuff. Who do I tell them what your name is? Because they're going to ask me, who's telling you to do all of this? And God says in verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. Or in the notes in the NIV, it says, I will be what I will be. What does that even mean? Do you know what that means? I'm going to tell you about a Tim Mackey video that I saw that was not a Bible Project video, but still Tim Mackey, so it's wonderful. <laughs> he said, it means this, when I am sick, God is. When I am sad, God is. When we were born, God is. When we die, God is. I'm adding some more to this. When that person becomes president, God is. When this world ends, God is. He is and always will be from our perspective. We cannot comprehend him, and we will never know the depths of his love, but we know he is. So that's his name. After that, we get the whole story of the Exodus out of Egypt. The plagues, the, rest, the race to get to the Sea of Reeds. That's the Red Sea, by the way. The defeat of the Amalekites. And then finally, the Israelites show up at Mount Sinai. And Moses has gotten very used to meeting with God by this time. He goes up to the mountain, and God says he wants to partner with all of Israel. So in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, God says this, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then all, out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses relays this information to the Israelites, and the people are excited. They say, yes, they want to be in this covenant with God. 
So Moses goes back up the mountain, and he's getting all the particulars about the covenant. And then people are scared to death because of the things that are going on on this mountain. If we look at verse 18 through 21 in uh, chapter 20, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So the people are scared out of their minds. And then Moses goes up there. But who could blame them for being scared with all of this smoke and all of these things going on on this mountain? And Moses keeps disappearing up there. And they don't even know this guy. He's just come to them very recently. It's just a, a, a very scary time. You've left your home, you've left everything you know, and now you're at the base of this mountain where it feels like you're going to be consumed or caught or who knows what. We're just sitting here at the base of this mountain. Now, while all that's going on, Moses is up talking with God. And he's up there for a very, very long time. And God knows he has a great relationship with Moses, but he doesn't have the same relationship with the Israelites yet. And so God says this to Moses in Exodus 25, 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle in all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So Moses is up there, and God gives him very detailed instructions on how to build this tabernacle, this place where God will dwell with the Israelites. They will be together again, and this is how God thinks he can restore this relationship that is so broken. And the tabernacle is this amazing thing where it's this mobile Garden of Eden, if you read these instructions that God gives him, it's like when you read it, it's exact specifications. It's like you're building the Garden of Eden that you can pack up into a pack and take it with you through the desert. So God is trying to give them this Eden of their own where they can be together. So, while he's up there and they're talking about all of this, Moses then gets some tablets with the Ten Commandments and is told about Sabbath. Again, we're talking about rest, Sabbath, before he goes down, just parenthetically, Sabbath. He was up there a very long time. So while he's finalizing this covenant with God, the Israelites are breaking the first two commandments that are on those tablets. They're creating idol, and they're worshiping another god. 
This is all of Exodus chapter 32. You can see Aaron is pointing fingers, deflecting blame on others. Like the people said they wanted this golden calf, and so I told them to melt it down, and it wasn't my fault. This was all their fault. Again, it just reminds you of Adam blaming Eve for partaking of the apple. Sin is again and again trying to break this relationship with God. So Moses, when he comes down and he sees all of this stuff that's going on in chapter 32, he goes back up the mountain, not just to get new tablets because he was so mad he broke the first tablets, but this time he wants to see the glory of God. So in Exodus 33, 18 through 23, it says, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will, procl- I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you can stand on the rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So Moses actually gets to see the glory of God. He kind of, in other translations, is almost like where God used to be, not where he is right at this second. But you kind of get a glimpse of God. And so we'll continue, we'll see what happens after you see where God used to be in Exodus 34, 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all of the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. So now they're afraid of being by Moses who was just seeing the backside of God. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and gave them all the commandments the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and And told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw what his his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back on over his face until he went back to speak with the Lord. So now Moses comes down after seeing the back of God, and his face is glowing. He's got the new tablets, his face is radiant, he has to wear a veil. But God's glory is so amazing, he's just beaming. And you can see this relationship that God has with Moses. It's this special, crazy relationship where Moses gets to see things that others can't. But there's still this problem with sin with the Israelites that just causes problems over and over again. 
So remember, God's plan to get this relationship not just with Moses but back with the Israelites is the tabernacle. We have to get this mobile Garden of Eden up and going so that the people can have this relationship with God. So they build it and they follow every page of designs and specifications, everything, all of those details completed. So they finish building the tabernacle and you think it's going to be this really, really amazing thing that's going to happen. And it kind of is, but not fully. So after building this in Exodus 40, verses 34 and 38, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting. So Moses, with his great relationship with God, he can't enter this tent right now. Because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day had lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire and a cloud by night in the sight of the Israelites during their travels. So Moses can't even go into this tabernacle that they have built. And he's the guy whose face is beaming because he's been in the presence of God. But the sin of the Israelites is so great, he still can't go in. It's still too much for him. But this is because the Israelites don't yet know how to atone for their sins, how to make up for their shortcomings. And that's what we get in the book of of Leviticus. So in Leviticus 1.1, we see the Lord calls out to Moses, and he spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So the Lord is now calling out to Moses from the tent, so that's a good thing. But he's not quite into the tent yet. But then we get into chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw this, they shouted for joy and fell on their face. So again, you kind of see this transformation taking place while the people are getting used to being in the presence of God and having to do things to atone for sin they fall on their face, sort of similar to what we saw at Mount Sinai, but at Mount Sinai, they were scared. They were afraid. They didn't want to get close to God at all. And in this time, they fell on their face because of joy. They shouted for joy and fell on their face. The last thing I want to mention as about the presence of God during this time is the story of two priests Nadab and Abihu, they do something inside of the tabernacle and was outside of what God had commanded them to do. So let's look at Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. 
and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his commands. So fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord had spoken when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. It's hard to say exactly what they did. They did something out of those commands, but it sounds like they might have even done something worse than just oversight. Some say that maybe they drank some of the wine. You can see here in Leviticus 10, verse 8 through 11, it says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, you, are, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go in the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance and generation to come, so you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees that the Lord has given them through Moses." So you have to still be very, very careful when you're in the presence of God during this time. And I hate leaving it on this note, right? It sounds so terrible. But what I'll say is, don't forget the creation. When God created humans, they were not just good, they are very good. That means you're very good, I'm very good, all of creation is very good, and we're made in the image of God. So I don't like leaving this hanging like this, but we still have more. It is kind of a cliffhanger, so next week we'll get to see Lowell talking about the rest of the Old Testament and about being in the presence of God. And then Chuck is the lucky one who gets to talk about the New Testament and being with Jesus and in even talking about the book of Revelation and what God has in store for us. But again, it's going to be a lot of content to cover. So why don't I go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our communion. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everything that you have been able to share with us, We know that being in your presence is this amazing gift, and now we have this Holy Spirit that's inside of us, that you are always with us, Lord, and we don't have to be afraid, and we love that, Lord, that we can be together so closely. So I just ask that uh, as we go through this series, that you can help us see how being in your presence is different from the beginning through history, through today, and even what you have in store for us for tomorrow, Lord. And we pray all these things through your son Jesus' name. Amen.